Wow. I got to give Brad and the, and the, the, whole, the, the whole crew a lot of, yes, great job this morning. Absolutely. Wow. It's, it's great to be in the house of God. Amen. Man, I tell you what, I want to thank all those who came out yesterday to help us out around the, around the church, helping with Serve Day. And uh, as I, I put out there on Facebook, on social media, I was overwhelmed by the volunteers that came out. And we want to thank each one of you so much for coming out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. But uh, you know what? This morning, we are going to go right into part three of our sermon series on Samson. Uh, in case you're joining us for the first time with regard to it, I'll I'll need to give you a little bit of background information here of what we've been talking about. But Samson was a guy who was called by God, who was uh, set apart directly from birth to deliver the Israelites from the oppressive uh, hands of the Philistines. Samson was a man given with uh, supernatural strength in order to do what God had called him or was calling him to do. But unfortunately, we have watched as is so common with you and I as people, that we can have so much potential in our lives. We can have so much God-given potential. We can have so many talents, so much ability, so much calling in on our lives that we allow decisions to inadvertently affect us, to cause us to go against the direction or the will that God has set before us. The first week we looked at the attitudes of, of strong people that make them actually become weak. The first one that we looked at was the spirit or the attitude rather of lust that, that I wanted, I needed in my life. Um, you know, we, we saw through the scriptures where Samson pursued a Philistine woman and, and that was something that was forbidden for him to do. The second attitude that we looked at was the, the spirit of, an, or uh, attitude rather, of entitlement. In other words, I deserve it. I think we've all probably been there before where, you know, we've done things in life and we think to ourselves, we deserve this or we deserve something. You know, I've put a lot of hard work in, so I deserve to get something out of it. I deserve to get something back from it. Uh, the spirit or attitude of entitlement, you know, I've plugged into these people so they should, I deserve the respect back. You know, um, you know I've, I've plugged into my family, into my kids. I've given them everything that I have. So I deserve the respect back. The other attitude that we saw from Samson and the problem is pride. Um, you know, putting himself in a situation that he thought that he could handle it, putting himself in a situation that he thought he deserved it. So we understand that he could handle it, he deserved it, but allowing pride to come in to cause a spirit. You know, the, the word says, you know, the pride comes before what? A fall, a fall. There's different things that we have all become proudful about in life. You become proudful over your accomplishments, proudful over your family, proudful over Maybe your job, you know, allowing an attitude of pride to come in that, you know what, I'm better. I'm more productive. I can do things better than this person. We understand when these things come in, they, they can take a strong person and make them terribly weak. We saw that our spiritual enemy, Satan, he loves to make strong people weak. But what we also looked at is that we serve a God who loves to make Weak people, strong. I want to repeat that. That you and I, we serve a God who loves to make the weak people strong. I look at that in my life and I look in my past and I see weak moments that I have gone through. I see moments where I was spiritually weak or I see moments where I was emotionally or physically weak. But yet I can also look and see where God was intervening in those moments and great strength was built in that. And a great foundation was built because of those moments. And God was able to do even better and bigger things in my life. I think we can all look at that in our own lives where we've been in those moments of weakness, 
We've been in those moments of despair. We've been in those moments where we think, you know what, I just can't go on. But yet somehow, some way, we keep moving forward and we keep pushing forward and we keep going ahead. Now, in the moment, we often don't recognize the hand of God moving. But when we look back, we can see where God was directing our steps, where he was leading us and he was pulling us through. He was pulling us up out of whatever dismay we might have been in. So it's, that statement is so true that God loves to make weak people strong. Last week, the second week of this message, we watched as one of the common problems for all of us, but for Samson was this. He was emotionally driven and not spirit-led. Emotionally driven. You know, we can allow our emotions to get us in trouble. We think we know what we need to do. We wear our emotions on our sleeves, some of us. And the first bit of controversy or the first bit of criticism, what happens? We shut down. We get angered. We allow our emotions to drive us rather than allowing the Spirit of God to drive us. So what we become oftentimes in life is emotionally led and not spirit-led. And we saw through the scriptures where this totally and completely messed up Samson in so many ways. We saw Samson, as with many, we want to be the main character of our life story. But we found out that what God is always the main character in your life. We often look at the problems that maybe that we are going through in life or, or that we've gone through. And we see, you know, how there was a resource. A resource has helped us through something. What do I mean by that? You know, maybe you're going through a financial difficulty and all of a sudden you, you received a bonus from work and it seemed to be in the perfect timing. And we look at that resource and we're proud of that resource. Or we look at a, a, a friendship and maybe another friend had to intervene within a friendship because there was a controversy that was brewing. And that other friend becomes a resource a source of help. You know, maybe, maybe you're on the job and you're going through a difficulty with work and things, you know, you're having problems and you're having relationship problems with, it, with the boss maybe. Uh, you're, you're having communication issues and, 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 and then, you know, somebody intervenes to help out with these matters and those are called resources. Money is a resource. People intervening in something is a resource. Someone coming to help you to do something is a resource. But understand, every resource starts with a source, and that source is God. Every single help that you have ever had in your life, I don't want you to think, this person is the reason why my marriage is stronger. This person is the reason, or this company is the reason why our bank account is growing. Or this, you know, this pastor is the reason that my spiritual life is growing. Understand, I am nothing. Everything that is a resource in your life is absolutely powerless and means nothing unless God is the source. God must be the driving point behind it all. And it is up to you and I to realize this and to see this in our life. I can do nothing, but in Christ, I can do what? All things. When a person allows his deepest need to drive them to God, God will meet them in their deepest need. That should bring hope to every one of us. How many of us have ever been in our life into a deep need? Think about that for a moment. Thank, well, thank you. Yes, praise God. <laughs> How many of us have ever been in such a deep need that it drove us, as I like to say, to the foot of the cross? It drove me to the point of rather me seeing God on the same level. Are you following me there? It drives us. The deepest need drives us from comparing our resources with the source as equal. So what happens? It drives us, our deepest need drives us, and God meets us in our deepest need. When what? When we come to the foot of the cross. And what does that mean? That means now I must look up to the source. 
and understand who God the Father is in my life. And understand how powerful he is in my life. Understand that there is nothing that this world has to offer that is greater than my God. There is nothing. There's no temptation. There's no desire. There's no fulfillment of anything that can ever surpass the power and the the graciousness of God. When I get to the place where I recognize that God is my source and in him and him alone. Well, we're going to pick up the story and somewhat relook at a couple things here this morning as we move further in the scriptures. But Judges chapter 15, verse 19 says this. I'll read a portion of this. It says, Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it when Samson drank. It says, When Samson drank, what happens? His strength returned, and he was revived. In other words, this, as Samson turned back to God, he again received strength and was revived. The Bible tells us that. So the spring was called, forgive me, but in Hekor, and it is still there in Lehi. Now we'll go to verse 20. Samson led Israel for how many? 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We gotta stop, keep that scripture up. Stop there for a second. Here we have a man who had done so much wrong prior to this moment, who was, we understand, overcome by sin, who was allowing himself to be the weakest in those opportune times. We see here, prior to this scripture right here, a man that was failing so much that when we look at his life, and if you were to look at his life and look at the resume of what Samson has built, would you even think God could use this man? Our natural mind would say, absolutely not. There's no way God could use him. There's no way that God could any longer use such an individual who is corrupt as what he is, a murderer as what he is, a luster, an adulterer as what he is. There's no way that God could ever use this man. But there was one encounter that drove him in his deepest need where God met him. And then we see a scripture like this. Samson led Israel for 20 years. In one verse, it captures 20 years of apparent faithfulness, integrity, living according to God's purpose, God's plan. 20 years of refreshness, of strength. 20 years, this man is now on the right. See, this is a scripture that is so often overlooked. We just say, oh, well, you know, he led, he led him for 20 more years. Let's move on to the next story, which we're going to get to in a moment. But there is 20 years of a moment here where Samson was doing exactly to the plan of God, to the will of God. For the next 20 years, he led faithfully, as the scripture continues on, as a judge over Israel. We're going to look this morning tragically of a guy who's doing things well, honoring God, serving him. Many of which of us are doing right now, even in our own life. You know, we can, we can uh, compare Samson's stories with, story with, with our own, maybe not to that extent or maybe even worse. I don't know what your, your life story is. But what amazes me is that there was a deep need that took him to God and God met him in his deepest need. And then all of a sudden from there, you see 20 years he led God's people. By the end of today, we're going to see a guy with so much God-given potential making poor decisions, though, ending up with what? His eyes gouged out, his hands, his feet shackled. He becomes the laughingstock in front of his enemies, the Philistines. How could a man with so much strength, so much potential, who who was God-ordained, mess up his life so badly? Samson didn't ruin his life all at once, but he ruined it one step at a time. 
Think about that statement. Samson did not do this all at once. He just didn't wake up one day and go, oh, you know what? Let's ruin the life forever. But rather it was one step at a time. Most don't do it all at once. Judges chapter 16 and 1 is where we're going to kick off. One day. Everybody say one day. One day. One day. One day is all it took. He's had 20 great years. 20 great years of ministry success. 20 great years of leadership success. 20 great years where people looked up to him. 20 great years of leadership. 20 great years where he was being led by God. But all of a sudden the scripture says one day Samson went to Gaza. Gaza understanding the Philistines. One day, one day, it all started again. One day, the process began. In fact, we can read in the scriptures, and I don't have that scripture for you, so I apologize. But the scripture says, summarizing King David, one day when kings are supposed to be off to war, David wasn't at war. He was walking around the palace and he saw Bathsheba. Think about that. One day. That's all it takes. One moment. All it takes is that one thought. All it takes is that one action. You know, I, I look back and, and I look at the things maybe that I've struggled with in my own life. And, you know, they just didn't pop out of nowhere. It took one moment, one decision, one thought, one action, one conversation. And then what does that lead into? Something different, something else, something a little stronger. And then what does that lead to? Something else, something different. Something a little stronger. What does that lead into? Something else, something different, something a little stronger. You know, when, when people, when, when married couples get a divorce, they don't just wake up one day and go, oh, we're done. You might think they do, but they don't. What is it? It's one moment. It's one day. It's one step. It's one thing. You know, we were, um, this is not in my notes, so forgive me, guys. Uh, we went to Sight and Sound. We, did the, we watched Jonah. We did the, the um, uh, sermon series on Jonah uh, several months back. And we were talking about how Jonah had to, to go where God didn't want him to go to. And he was going to a people who were despicable. He was going to a people who were full of, of hatred toward toward God's people, and, and they did things that was immoral. They did things that was inhumane. If you remember, we talked about those things, that what they did to men and to women and to children and how they treated them. But all of a sudden, we read through those scriptures that when Jonah came to the gates and he began to, a, a simple message that he gave to them, it turned the hearts of the people. We see that scripture, we see a, a, a distinct difference between hatred to love and and, you know, uh, just, just war to peace and, and all of this. And we think, wow, what, what a moment there. Those small words that Jonah spoke. But I, I believe that there was one day that happened in the hearts of those people where they began, began to question what was going on, what they were doing. And so that one day, that one moment began to open up an opportunity for God to begin to creep his spirit in. So that those people could be then what? Receptive of the message that Jonah was giving. And we see a, a city or a group of, of great people who, who came to a relationship and a knowledge and an understanding of who Christ is. I look at my own life and, you know, I remember I, I grew up, all of you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And, but I didn't get saved till I was 18 years old. February the 6th, 1997 in Winterfest in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Every time I go to Lancaster, I can't but help be reminded of that moment in my life that changed me forever. But it just wasn't me showing up to an event that changed my life. It was one moment, one step, 
where God was working and dealing and creating a foundation. When you look at a home that is being built, it, a, a contractor you know, just doesn't go in there and boom, there's a house. What happens? Block by block, nail by nail, whatever has to happen begins to happen. And what forms eventually the finished product of something beautiful and something great? Well, unfortunately, the same thing happens within our sin. The destructive of your life, the destructive of, of your marriage doesn't just happen one day when you wake up and go, I'm just done. It's one step at a time. You don't wake up one day and go, I want to become completely bankrupt. What happens? One stupid purchase after another. One dumb decision. You don't wake up one day and go into work and say, today I'm going to lose my job because I don't know why, I just feel like it. I'm going to make my boss fire me today. No, what happens? It's one moment, one step. Are you following? Is anybody listening to me this morning? Do you even understand what God is trying to get through us? God is trying to build us back to where we need to be. I'm reminded in the scripture in Genesis 46, 1 through 4. Can you find that for me real quick, please? Fast. I mean, super fast. You got to be lightning, dude. <laughs> Genesis 46, 1 through. Is it okay if we just completely forget about this Samson story for a moment? Yes. Genesis 46. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. Understand what's happening here. Go back, please. Understand what is happening here. Israel. Who's Israel? Does anybody know who Israel is in this moment? Jacob, all right? So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Go to verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. Verse three, I am God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Understand something. I believe wholeheartedly in my spirit before we can ever move forward as a church and as you individually, spiritually in your life, you must go back down to Egypt. For I will make you a great nation there. What does that mean? Pastor, I'm not going to Egypt. Neither am I. <laughs> this is a metaphor here. What that means is God sometimes has to set us back. You know, we're always, we're geared as a church, as Christianity. We must move forward. We must move forward. We must plow ahead through the storm. We must push ourselves through. When sometimes God is saying, wait, no, I need you to bring you back to reality. I need you to bring you back in your biggest, deepest, darkest place into a place of despair so that I can get your attention again, so that I can begin to do another work inside of you. Because watch this, what happens in verse four. I will go down to Egypt with you. Oh, wow. God is telling Jacob, you go back. And watch this, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. That means, I love it. I love it because, because God's not saying, I'm going to punish you and send you back. God's not saying, I'm going to send you back and leave you alone. No. God's saying, I'm going with you also. Because watch this, and I surely will bring you back again. But when God brings us back again, and he's been with us in our Egypt, in our place of despair, he's been with us in our failures, he's been with us in that spot where we think we're not able to move forward because God doesn't want you to move forward sometimes. I know that is totally against everything we speak about. But there are times where God does not want you to move forward. In fact, there's moments where God wants you to move backwards. Because there is where he can get us our attention. There is where sometimes God does the best work in your life. I know for a fact, I remember a season where God moved me backwards. I hated that. But when I read that scripture, I can see clearly that God was with me. And then he says what? I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back. 
I believe in my heart what God is doing with us, with you in your own personal life, and with us even as a church, stepping back. Stepping back for a season. You know what I love about seasons? They have an end. Amen? They have an end. I hate winter. I hate winter on this island. I'm not going to lie. I can't lie. I'm not supposed to. There's nothing here to do. It's not Baltimore. I got to go to Salisbury. Three quarters of the restaurants, what do they do? Close down. We go hungry. No, we don't go hungry. I love it though. I love what God is trying to do here. And, and he's saying, he's, he, he's saying to, to us, I believe in our season right now. He's saying, you know what? We need to take a step backwards for a moment. We need to have a moment of humility. Maybe we need to be humbled. We're not as great as we thought we were. We're not as powerful maybe as we thought we were. We need to step back for a moment. But God, you know what? I love it. Because in that scripture says, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you when I set you back. I'm not, I'm not sending you back out of punishment. But when I send you back, it's because I'm going to bless you forward later. Your back is a season. And I believe that this season is not going to be a long season. But I believe that we're going to go through a season. And then God is going to traject, boom, blast us out like a cannon. And he's going to do the great and the mighty. Amen. Totally off topic. I'm sorry. I got to find myself. <clears throat> Forgive me. So we understand that Samson led for 20 years in the day of the Philistines. And for the next 20 years, he, he faithfully led as a judge over Israel, but Samson had an issue, and one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. So we had 20 good years, and then the Bible says one day a mess up, one day a problem, one day an issue. We saw where David, you know, who, who in the scriptures, one day when kings are supposed to be off the war. So it's a process. We don't just wake up one day messing up our lives, but it becomes a process. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to spend the night with her. Verse 2, the people of Gaza, these are the Philistines again, they were told Samson is where? Here. So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. You know what's amazing to me? I just want to stop right there. They lay in wait. You know, your enemy is so much more patient than you are. The enemy that is distracting us in our life and trying to, to pull us away from the purpose and the plan and the will of God, who's trying to take us and, and, and take our hope away and take our faith away, he is so much more patient than we are. Think about that for a moment. I mean, in, in my mind, I would have been like, yeah, in 30 minutes, if this guy's not out, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going somewhere else. He said, no, they surrounded the place and they wait for him all night. It says, they made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. Gaza, understand this, was the headquarters of the Philistines. So this guy is just stupid. Samson. He's traveling and he goes in, into Gaza to find a prostitute. Right into the land of, of his enemy. Into the heart of them. Into the head. He's going to fail. Failure is set up all over him. Here's the problem, though. Most people in our lives, we mess up because we put ourselves into an environment where we know failure is imminent. Think about that. Oftentimes, we will put ourselves into an environment where we know that it will result in failure. But we take on the spirit of entitlement. We take on the spirit of lust. 
We take on the spirit of pride and we kid ourselves and we, we uh, convince ourselves that we're stronger and bigger than our enemy is and we won't fall captive to the plan. Now, how many have been successful at that? Think about that. Mm. Step by step. One day he wakes up. He's in big trouble. He doesn't ruin his life all at once. But what does he do? He does it one step at a time. One step at a time. You know, I, I, I love this, the, the verse where, where Paul says, he's speaking of sin. And uh, I, I have a conversation with some of you about this here regularly. But he says, you must flee. Flee from it. Flee from the sin in your life. Run away as quickly and as far as possible. You know what, what's amazing to me is this. We will... Well, I'm not going to get down there. But what we will do is we'll, we'll take one step closer to sin to test the water. We think, oh, well, you know, I can overcome this moment right now. So we'll go a little deeper into it. I can get through this right now. You know, I, I can handle this moment. So we will, and then we'll, we'll get deeper into it. And if we were to look back, we would see really how far we've come away from God. I want to I ask you, how, how are your spiritual disciplines going? Do you, do you need something to compare your life, uh, maybe a, you know, a bar to, to, to see how far you are growing in God? Because I promise you this, if, if you're staying in your word, if, if you're staying in your word and you're reading, and if you're staying in your word and you're, you're, you're pressing into God, and you're wanting to be the things of God, you want the righteousness of God in your life, and you're staying in your word, these steps forward become less and less as we're going into a season of sin. In fact, what will happen is we'll have steps that go the other direction that will take us deeper and deeper into the holiness and the righteousness into the set-apart season that God has planned for us. How are you doing on your spiritual disciplines? Are you in the word of God? Are you reading the word of God? Because I promise you this, the moment you, the moment you allow yourself to begin to slip away from the spiritual disciplines is the moment that you begin to step into the life of sin and going after those sinful temptations and saying, you know what, I can handle this. I can get through this. I can do this. And you know what? Reading the word becomes less. But yet then we go, how in the world did I get where I am today? How in the world have I gotten so messed up? How is everything so screwed up? How's your prayer time? Where is that right now? Are you spending time in prayer with God? I'm not talking about, you know, when we sit down and, and, and have our dinner, I let my boys say the prayer. You know, it's, it's a pretty generic prayer, but they're kids. Their prayer gets further to God than mine does. So they bless our food every meal. I'm not talking about that type of prayer. I'm not even talking about that prayer, you know, oh, I'm so exhausted. You know what, God, thank you for this day. Bless you, Father. As if you need a blessing. Bless you, Father, and uh, give me a good day tomorrow. Forgive me my sin. Good night, boom. I'm not talking about that prayer. I'm talking a prayer that intertwines with what you're reading in God's word. I'm talking in a prayer that you're, you're, you're in Leviticus, you're in Numbers, you're in those books that are just like, What? I'm talking about a prayer where you go, you know what, God, allow that scripture. I don't, I don't even understand fully what I read, but God, allow that scripture to become reality in my life. Allow me to see the words jump off of the page and let me see what you're trying to do. Allow your word to get into my mind and my thoughts because everything else is taken captive of my attention all the time. I don't need the impure thoughts. I don't need the inappropriate images in my life. I need the goodness of you. See, it just takes one moment, one step. We're going to look real quick at three things in God's word. First thing is this, number one, Samson taunted his enemy. 
Again and again, he taunted his, Genesis, uh, excuse me, Judges 16.3, but Samson lay there. In other words, he was, he's, he's shacked up with this girl. In the middle of the night, then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. I got that. Get it. He lifted them to his shoulders and he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, here's what he did. Understand this. He's with this girl. Philistines are out to get him. He wakes up. He goes to the city gates. The gates represent the protection. Understand the commentaries that I've read say the gates weighed 700 pounds. The doors weighed 700 pounds. He picks them up and he, boom, puts them down where everyone can see them to say, hey, you ain't got nothing on me. He's taunting his enemy in that moment. But understand this. Our enemy roars around like a what? Like a lion seeking someone to devour. He taunts the enemy. But understand, we have a spiritual enemy whose mission is to do this. Steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters in the heart of God. Satan doesn't want to just wound us in our lives. He's wanting to destroy us. We will taunt and we will underestimate the enemy by putting ourselves in places and temptations over and over again, thinking that we can handle it. Thinking that you can handle it. Think about the last time that you gave into the temptation. Think about the last time that you did that sin that just irritates you to no end. You are despicable of it. You are just disgusted by it. I promise you, you got there because you allowed yourself to be placed into an environment that made it so powerful. That's not an amen moment, I know. That's not a woo, Pastor Kevin, that's great. I get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, kind of a warning here to us. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I want to repeat that. If you think you are standing firm, it's remarkable to me when you can hear somebody falling into sin, someone of, of stature and maybe someone within the community or someone within the church or, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. I, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of news all the time of different pastors and ministers who fall into a season of sin in their life. And it's easy to look back on that and be like, man, I'm glad I'm not them. What did that scripture say? Be careful. Be careful. Because you can just as easily fall. So we understand Samson did this. He taunted the enemy. But the second thing is this. He rationalized the same old sin. Samson's got a problem with women. That's no question here. He's got a problem and yet he continues to rationalize it. The first thing we saw him do wrong was go after what? A Philistine woman. What has he done again? Going after a Philistine woman. What do these Philistine women do? They bring about problems for his life. It should be a no-brainer to Samson. I need to stay away. It should be a no-brainer for you. You need to stay away. Verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love. He fell in love. Overused. With a woman in the valley of Surik, whose name was what? Delilah. This is the most, one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Not the Delilah that you hear, you know, uh, you know call into your, you know, hey, Delilah, you know, I want to do a shout out to, you know, Jenny over there in California. You know, no. It, it is bad. It's bad. You know, the name Delilah just has a really bad definition. Yeah, it's, it's bad. If your name's Delilah, I'm really sorry. You'll probably never be back now. I'm just kidding, kind of. Her name was Delilah. He's messing around with a Philistine woman, so he's rationalizing again the same old sin. We rationalize, don't we? You know, one of the biggest ways that we rationalize, I can always go back to God and ask for forgiveness. Right? I can always go back to God and ask for forgiveness. It's all good. He's forgiven me before. He's going to forgive me again. I mean, he says he cast our sins as far as what? The east is from the west. So he don't even remember what I used to do. So it's brand new in the eyes of God. So we rationalize our sin. We go, it's no big deal. 
Or how do we also rationalize? Well, I deserve it. It's just for this moment. It's just in this season. It's my escape. It, 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 it eases my tension. You know, I don't know what it is that captures you, but it might ease your attention in the moment. But when the moment is over, you have lots of tension. You have spiritual tension above anything else rather than any other tension that might be created in the natural. One step at a time. Verse 5 says, The rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, See if you can lure Samson into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him. We may tie him up and subdue him. So what did they do? They, they bribed her with some silver, some money. All right, so I'm going to paraphrase 6 through 14 here right quick with you. This is Delilah's. This is my version. Tell me the secret of your great strength. He says, okay, well, he tells her a lie. If you got to tell somebody a lie, you know you're in the wrong environment to start with. Let's just start off right, right, there, right there. If you've got to lie, that means you're already messed up. It says, if you, if you get seven straps, if you take seven straps, you tie me up with those, I'll become as weak as any other man. So he goes to sleep. They tie him up with the seven straps. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks out. And then she's like, oh, you lied to me. Man. Thank you. Kick her to the curb at that point. Yes. So she comes back, tell me what really it is. Okay, give, her, give him the benefit of the doubt here, all right? Coincidence, maybe. He said, ropes, brand new ropes. Tie me up with them, and I'll be as weak as any other man. He goes to sleep. He's tied up. And she's like, Samson, the Philistines. What do we know? He comes down, and she's like, you lied to me again. Tell me the real thing. It's a pattern, Samson. Do you not see the pattern? I mean, how is this guy being fooled. How are you being fooled? It's a pattern. The enemy knows what to say and he knows how to lure you in. And we fall for it over and over and over again. We could look at this story and think it's so ridiculous. But it's the story of many of our lives who are in this room right now, if not all of us. It's one step at a time. It's a pattern. The enemy knows opportune time. He comes down and she's like, you lied to me again. Tell, tell me the real thing. He says, okay, it's my hair. It's getting close. Not quite there, but getting close. If you take my braids and, and you weave them into the fabric and you stick them with this pin, then I'll be as weak as any other man. And so they do that. And she says, Samson, they're on their way. And he comes out. First of all, that had to hurt. That's the first thing I think of in that moment. That had to hurt. Have you ever had your hair pulled? And he comes out and she's like, that's enough. I want to know. Tell me. Let's go to verse 15. This is, what, this is what happens. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made me a fool of me. And haven't told me the secret of your strength. Now verse 16. This is funny. With such nagging. She prodded him. What? what? Day after day. Just wasn't one conversation. She continued to nag. Sorry ladies. I know I'm, I'm treading now. I, I get it. I feel the heat. But she continued to nag. And what did he do? With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Not just tired, but tired to death. I've never even been tired to death. I don't even know, how to, I don't even know what that's like. But man, this guy, he's got just dumb written all over him. And then so do we when we look in the mirror. Samson was strong enough to kill 
a thousand men. He was strong enough to, to slay a lion barehanded. He was strong enough to lift 700 pound doors over his head. But he wasn't strong enough to lead a woman. So he told her everything. No razor ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. Remember his Nazarite vows. We went over that the first week. He couldn't get drunk, couldn't touch anything unclean, and he couldn't get his hair cut. He said this, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. He goes on to say, I was set apart to God since birth. Do you know you've been set apart? You've been set apart since birth for God to do great things through you in your life. Every person in here has been set apart. Not just Samson that we read in this story, not just David and Noah and, and Moses and, and, and not just the disciples and, and, and you know, Timothy and Paul, not, not, not just all of these people that we read in the scriptures, but you yourself have been set apart by God. We, thank goodness we don't have to go according to the Nazarite vow because if so, all of us would be weak. But we have vows that God gives us through his scriptures. We have the spiritual disciplines that I was speaking of earlier. We have the commandments that are given to us. We have the law. We have what God has given us, instructions through his word. He says, I was set apart from God. There's a moment there where he's remembering for a moment that he, who he was created to be. We need to understand that God didn't just put us on this earth to take up space or to go between jobs and semi-successful in life, but God brought, put us on this earth to utilize our gifts, the passions, the callings, so that we can glorify him and make a difference in the world that we live in. Verse 19, scripture says, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. How did he not feel that? That's what goes to my mind. I don't have an answer. And then what does it say? His strength left him. I wonder how many of us through our disobedience, through our rationalizing of sin, through our spirits of entitlement and spirits of lust and spirits of pride that are upon us, we have allowed ourselves, just as Samson did, to get into a, a routine of giving into the temptations and to the sins that has just become a part of our life and it's just something that we deal with. I've heard that a lot from people. Look, Pastor, I just have to deal with this. This is my hiccup. This is my thorn, as Paul says. No, Paul's thorn wasn't a sin. Your sin is not your thorn. Your sin is your disobedience. And so we rationalize it and we think that we can get through and everything will be just fine, as it always is. All I have to do is go to God and ask for forgiveness. All I have to do is maybe get myself into a life group or get myself back into church more regularly and God will overlook this about me. It's something that I just must deal with. I mean, after all, he created me. But he didn't create the sin. He's not the one, the one who's put the sin into your life. You're the one doing that. You're the one making those decisions. Verse 20 says, And Delilah called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep. So watch this. Samson assumed his disobedience would never cost him. That's number three. He assumed his disobedience would never cost him. She called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep. What did he think? He thought, I'll go out as before. I'll shake it free. I'll do what I've always done. I will overcome this as well. Nothing is going to change. So often we get away with so much. We think that we can get away with it forever. We think that we can continue to live in that pattern forever. Verse 21, here's the strategy. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. 
They set him to the grinding in the prison. How did a man with so much God-given potential end up in such bad shape? One step at a time. One step at a time. That's how he did it. One moment. One decision. That should all, for every one of us in this room, cause us to sit back for a moment and to evaluate us. What steps are you taking that are taking you out of the will of God, out of the plan of God in your life? What steps are you taking that are leading you away from the direction that God wants you to go in? What steps are you taking that are, that, that, that are potentially taking you out of his presence? What steps are you taking that are taking you into a life of sin? What steps are you taking that could potentially be damaging your marriage? What steps are you taking that could be potentially damaging your integrity, your reputation? What steps are you taking that potentially are, are, are causing you to drift further from God rather than closer to God? What steps are you taking? I think we can all say in one season or another that we have been in that pattern where we have taken steps. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're struggling. It's very difficult. You can come up. Where it's very difficult. You're struggling. Those temptations are real. You're placing yourself time and time again into environments that will result in you to fail. And watch this. It's nothing that you need God to really point out to you because you know exactly what you're supposed to stay from. You know exactly when you're in that season. You know exactly when you're in that environment. I want you to stand with me this morning. Where are you stepping away from God? Where is it? Where are you stepping away from God? You see, for Samson, it was that one day he went to Gaza is where it began. The scripture said one day he went. What did that mean? One day he turned from the direction he was going to go into the direction that he was not supposed to go in. And what was it? One step, one step. As he went closer and closer to Gaza, one step. I wonder in that journey that he was making what the thoughts might've been going through his mind. He may have been re, re, reliving those, those seasons prior, you know, where he was with the other Philistine woman where he was to marry a Philistine woman, where he went and he killed men over anger. He was driven by emotion rather than being spirit-led. He was allowing lust and entitlement into pride to take captive of his spirit and of his heart. And I wonder in my mind, as he was taking those steps to Gaza, was he reliving those moments and going, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be making this decision. Maybe I shouldn't be going this. I can't help but think that that's what was going on. Because you know why? Because I'm human and, and I've taken steps that have led me into a place of sin, that have led me into a place that is wrong, that have caused me to go into an environment that might be inappropriate, an environment where I would become my weakest. And I remember taking those steps and thinking in my mind, I don't belong here. I don't belong going where I'm about to go. This isn't the best for me. This isn't what God wants in my life. This cannot be my end result. But yet for some reason, the enemy saw me at a weak moment, sees you at a weak moment, an opportune time, and you begin to flow and you begin to walk and you begin to go. And watch this, as you go, each step, what? It gets easier. You become more numb to that consciousness. You become more numb to the spirit. You become more numb to the warning. 
Every step you're taking, it's even that much harder to turn around and to go back to God. I think in my mind with Samson, those first few steps as he was heading to Gaza, those were the opportune time. That was the moment where he should have turned. Because we all know as we sink deeper into our sin, it sucks more and more of our life away from us, away from God. And we get into a more and more of an environment where we don't belong into. And it results in a spiritual failure, which then results in the failure in the natural. It affects your relationships, your jobs. It reflects everything about your life, even your kids. It reflects those who you surround yourself with day in and day out. We see that all throughout scripture where people made bad decisions. And not only did it affect them, but it affects those who are closest around them. And I can't help but think if Samson would have just turned. So I, I think to myself, if you would just turn, if you will make a decision now to turn, to turn away, to no longer walk in that direction any longer, to go, you know what? No, I got to go back with God because I remember the result of before and it wasn't pleasing. So I need to turn and go back in the direction of God. You know what I love about this scripture, about this passage? Verse 22, see, there's still hope for Samson. There's still a little hope for Samson in his life because watch this, verse 22 in that scripture says, but the hair on his head, the hair on Samson's head began to grow after it had been shaved. What did that mean? The power of God came right back in as his hair grew. Why? He was in a place where he could only rely now on God. He could no longer rely on himself. He could no longer make decisions for himself. He was a captive audience now to God. And this is a spot where many of us have to get to for God to get our attention. God is saying, look, here I am. You may not like walking in that place of sin any longer. That's fine. Let's get out of it. Let's turn around this moment. Let's turn this thing around. I believe sometimes we have to step backwards before we can go forwards. Maybe, maybe you're in that season where you've had to step backwards. I love it because with, with Israel or with Jacob, God says, even when you step backwards, I'm gonna go back with you. And then I'm gonna bring you forward again, but this time stronger. And then he's gonna take you forward again. And he's gonna take you forward again. And all the while you're gonna get stronger, stronger in your spirit, stronger in that relationship with God. So every about every eye close, I'm gonna ask you this morning. I wanna ask you this. If you're tired of taking the steps in the wrong direction and you wanna again, or maybe even for the first time, begin to make the steps in the right direction, I want you to slip up your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. I see these hands, I see these hands, I see these hands. I see that hand, wow. I see the hands lifted all over, you can put them down. You can put them down, wow. God, God is the only one that can do this. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by his. You just have to be willing. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every uplifted hand. I thank you for every person that says this morning, God, I wanna step forward now. God, I, I wanna go in your direction. I wanna step away from the direction no longer going to Gaza. But God, I wanna go in the direction of faithfulness. I'm gonna go in the direction of integrity. I wanted to go in the direction of your plan and your purpose and your desire and your will for my life. I'm done. I'm done with this season. This season has now come to an end. Father, now it's time to take a permanent decision and let's flow for eternity in your will. Every person, Lord,
this morning that wants that in their heart, I pray right now that you will grant it. God, that you will move in their lives, that from this day forward, they will not do as what Samson did and continue to pursue what is wrong. But Father, from this day forward, we will pursue what is right. God, from this day forward, we will not rationalize our sin to make it okay. From this day forward, we will call sin what it is and that is sin and that it is wrong. From this day forward, we will understand, Lord, that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that where your temple is, no sin, no wrongdoing, no unrighteousness can dwell. So Father, may your spirit dwell inside of us. May we become captive audiences of you every day. May our attention be focused upon you. So Father, do the work in every life. God, we love you. We praise your holy name. And Father, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And Father, as we leave this place, I pray for every person be with them. Lead them and guide them in their lives. Keep your angels around and about and protecting them. May they be the greatest in their generation of followers of you. So God, we love you and we praise you. And God, we pray for our offering, our tithings, our giftings. May it be given to continue to grow and strengthen your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And the church says, amen and amen. We love you guys. See you next week.